0: Barheads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to gather together as family this morning in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you for sending your Son to make this day a reality for us so that we can partake in the very bread of life in a way that unbelievers cannot. Father, thank you for saving us, for sanctifying us, for eventually glorifying us, to bring glory to you even in time. Father, thank you for the gift of perseverance. Thank you for the trials and the suffering. For these things bring glory to you as well. We pray for those still lost, of course, They just seem to be accelerating away from the truth, Father, in this world. And we just are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to evangelize some and that we might call them brothers and sisters in Christ forevermore. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this even a reality. You just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, keep uh, keep this voice in prayer. Uh, This past week, the Spirit has given us some additional food for thought regarding that key phrase in the Bible, through faith, up here on the board. The faithful keep on believing, waiting on God over time. Through faith implies patience, if it's going to show itself as true faith. Eventually, we will receive the things of God. If everything were given to us at once, there's no real test of faith. Therefore, no faith required. Just think about that. If everything were given to us at once there would be no real test of faith, and therefore no faith would be required. So concentrate as we dig in. Remember the following, and we're going to just put a couple of things together here, first thing. God glorifies Himself by sanctifying us. God glorifies Himself by sanctifying us. Hence this statement in Scripture up here on the board. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So just think of that for a second. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So just dwell on those two facts for a moment. God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in us. God glorifies himself by fulfilling his own desires in each of us. And then think about the following analogy uh, to how metal is worked into useful shapes. This is just a common definition of the word "anneal." Heat, it means to heat metal or glass, and allow it to cool slowly in order to remove internal stresses and toughen it. That's what it means to anneal, to heat up a metal, and then allow it to cool slowly in order to remove internal stresses and then toughen it. Likewise, God anneals our faith. Sanctification is like the annealing of metal. As believers, we must be worked to the glory of God. He bends us incrementally, adds heat under pressure, and then gives us time to cool down. In the end, each iteration makes us stronger, more resolute in our faith. Again, God anneals our faith. Sanctification is like annealing of metal. As believers, we must be worked. And some of you understand that uh, intimately, very intimately. Um, It's like being hammered by God. And it's not always, there's always suffering involved. It's not always easy. It can be very painful to be hammered by God. But that's how he works us, just like a metal. We come to the table rigid, not wanting to bend to his will, because we have an iron will called the flesh. And so he has to work us even after salvation. And it's just like metal. But he doesn't do it overnight, otherwise we'd break. If he just said, okay, this is you now, this is where I want you to be, you'd break. So he bends us incrementally, he heats us, bends us, lets us cool down, lets the molecules in our souls, our faith, re-anneal, if you would, with other, let's say, doctrines in our soul, other parts of our faith, um, so that then we are able to cool down and relax. And at the end of that process, each increment adds strength and resolution to our souls. Why all this work? I mean, he is omnipotent, all-powerful, right? I mean, why all this work? I mean, why not just change us incrementally, or excuse me, instantaneously, at salvation as we will be ultimately in heaven. I can't fully answer that. I know that he brings glory to himself in time for all of us to see. That I can tell you. But I can't tell you, I'm not going to lie to you and say this is why God didn't or doesn't change us right away. Only God knows precisely all of the reasons why he does what he does when he does it. And that when brings out a little thing called patience as well. And perseverance, as we're going to see this morning. So all I can give you is scripture. Go to Psalm 37.5. That's all I can give you, my friend, Psalm 37.5. I don't have all the answers. I'm just a bus driver. I'm just a waiter. Psalm 37.5. <clears throat> Psalm 37.5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust. Such a big word, isn't it? Trust. So many trust issues in this world. Um, but Scripture says, trust also in Him, and He will do it. Go to Proverbs 3.5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. Proverbs 3.5. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, five. <clears throat> There's that word again. Trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Now that's a huge lesson. I'm sure my voice would like to stop right now, but that's not the end of it. I could stop right now. Trust and do these things. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and look at the result. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Some of you are too full of anxiety, too wigged out on a day-to-day basis, too um, stressed out. Uh, and it's a result of not heeding this wisdom. Not trusting in the Lord. Being wise in your own eyes. Oh, I can take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll bear this load myself. Uh, that's no good. If you trust in the Lord, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, this will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Amen. Some might say, I was thinking about this, you know, because, you know, Solomon's waxing poetic here. And um, it is poetry, and it's beautiful. And so you can write it off. Some might say, you know, oh, if life were only that simple. My friends, my response is simple. It is. It actually is. Life is that simple. Trust in the Lord, fear Him. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It's that simple. Remember, the strategy of your enemies is to complicate life. And some of you do a darn fine job of joining forces with your enemies. Some of you, I would argue, like dysfunction junction if things get too level in your life you basically get a stick of spiritual tnt and go (laughs) and then i get emails (laughs) i I, I don't know what's wrong i'm telling you what's wrong you don't trust the lord that's what's wrong i'm not saying i'm the only one who gets emails some of you like i get them too yeah people tend to bleed like a sprinkler system Just remember that your enemies want to complicate your life. You know what? Jesus just wants to simplify it. So it is that easy. So stop complicating it. It literally is that easy. Stop making stupid statements like, if it was only that simple, easy for you to say, bald guy. Again, the point on the board, God anneals our faith. Sanctification is like the annealing of metal. As believers, we must be worked to the glory of God. He bends us incrementally, adds heat under pressure, then gives us time to cool down. In the end, each iteration makes us stronger, more resolute in our faith. Go to Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1 <clears throat> and just from personal experience I'm just sharing while you're turning to Romans 5.1 the more you resist the hammer the more painful it is the more you white knuckle unto your dysfunctional life the more painful it is the longer it takes it's why some people in humility accelerate much more quickly in the spiritual life than others. It's because they let go. I would argue that some people who have hit rock bottom, it's really easy to let go. And so they become like uh, rocket ships. They've hit rock bottom and from that point on, in other words, all the experiments like Ecclesiastes, all the experiments are over with. I'm already exhausted, I'm beat to a pulp, I'm lucky to be alive, I just want the Lord at this point. And because of that humility, because of that surrender, they just skyrocket. They just rocket through the spiritual life. And you get other people like this, I'm not letting go, I still want a little bit, and their knuckles are completely white, but they're fatigued. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see perseverance even in the middle of all that. While he's working out things to his own glory, Yes, you're the vessel. Yes, you share in some of that. Yes, you are able to enjoy the things that he's doing in you. You see changes. You embrace those changes. You're set free by them. But at the end of the day, he wants to bring glory to himself through you as a vessel by pouring out grace. So let's knit these things together in our souls. God glorifies himself by sanctifying us. That means setting us apart for His purposes. A process that at times is both painful and edifying by which we benefit. We know these things. Stated differently, God glorifies Himself by fulfilling His own desires in us. God glorifies Himself by fulfilling His own desires in us. And as we've been noting One of the key areas of fruit-bearing, and only a true believer can bear fruit, at least godly fruit, one of the key areas of fruit-bearing for the truly faithful is perseverance. We just saw that. Perseverance being, now listen, I want you to listen to this, you ready? Because you and myself included, we get confused about perseverance we, if we're tough, if, we're, um, if we have a strong flesh, if you come from a certain background maybe that has proven that your flesh can dominate in this world, can you know, do well for itself in this world, um, you tend to think that you've persevered, that you're a self-made man or woman because of those things and you get kind of confused, and you, you start thinking that, wait a minute, I can persevere, but I'm going I'm to tell you something. You ready? This is a secret. It's really not. Perseverance is a grace gift from God. Let me say it again. Perseverance is a grace gift from God. We receive faith by what? Being faithful humble. Perseverance is just another grace gift from God. So reflect. If God didn't give us perseverance, how would he ever be able to sanctify us? We'd all quit. Let me say it again. If God didn't give us perseverance, how would he ever be able to sanctify us? We'd all quit. But as Jesus and his apostles stated, only an apostate quits the faith. Only someone who is never truly saved quits the faith. Why? Because God never gave them the gift of perseverance. That's why. Oh, they can hold up for a while just like a lot of posers do, but eventually they quit. And you may never see it, but they've quit in their own soul. Maybe they go through the motions. Maybe they go to church on a regular basis, but they've essentially quit. Why? They weren't given the grace gift of perseverance. Because as Jesus says in his parable of the soils, that's what believers do. They persevere. How does he know? Because it's a grace gift of God. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I am confident that he will complete the good thing in you that he started at salvation. Why? Because he knew what I'm teaching. He knew that with salvation comes perseverance. Because God's not going to embarrass himself. God's not going to say, I'm going to save you. I'm going to change you, literally, make you a new creature and then allow you not to persevere because I'm in this game to bring glory to myself and I will sanctify you. That's what Paul meant. And you know how Paul knew? Because he was trained personally by the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, who said, if you are born again, you will persevere. It's a hard thing for people to uh, swallow, but that's what the Bible tells us. God doesn't give some people the gift of perseverance, which is something that we see in Luke 8.15. Speaking of, this is, again, one of the key elements of Jesus' foremost parable, the parable of the soils. Go to Luke 8.9. Luke 8, verse 9. There are um, factions of people out there that think that a true believer can actually quit the faith. But there is nowhere and no evidence whatsoever in Scripture of that ridiculousness. That would be to imply that God is weak and that didn't, He didn't actually change you or at least not in a way that's going to bring glory to himself, and that's blasphemous. Luke 8, 9, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but the rest it is in parables. So seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root, yet they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And then verse 15, we get to the good soil. And this is the believer, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with how? Perseverance. I'll give you Charles Spurgeon on this. Or, quote, with perseverance, with continuance, he that, and he's quoting again from Scripture, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Don't divorce the two. If you're saved, you will persevere. If you persevere, you're saved. He is not converted at all who is not converted eternally. The work of man is temporary. The work of God is everlasting. Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon is referencing a passage from Jesus worth noting as well. Go to Matthew 24, 10. Matthew 24.10 I know some of you have been tainted along the way into thinking that because of someone's free will they can somehow choose not to persevere in the faith. Um, I was duped by that as well and the Spirit's delivering you from it. Matthew 24.10 At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Why? Because it's going to be so tough that if you're not saved... You won't have the gift of perseverance. You won't be able to endure. That's why. Only the person who is saved, who's given the gift of perseverance, like we just read in Luke 8, uh, verse 8, uh, 15, only that person is able. Because you know what? God is able. With man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. For the sake of clarity, I don't want anybody to walk away confused on this passage, the one who endures, as opposed to the the folks in Matthew 24.10 that do not. Jesus was not implying that endurance is the pathway to salvation. Rather, he is reiterating in myriad ways throughout his ministry, salvation is a grace gift that results in fruit-bearing. For example, perseverance. Luke 8.15, that's the parable. One of the things that you're guaranteed as a believer is to persevere. And I was having that, I think I mentioned this on Thursday, I was having that discussion. Uh, in retrospect, it's perseverance is a funny thing. This topic that the Spirit's teaching is a funny thing. Because... You're not fully aware of it until you look back. In the moment, you might say, I don't, you know what? Make a stand. In my free will, I'm not going to persevere. And then five years later, you're like, I actually persevered because I'm still in the faith. God works like that. Sometimes you have to look back to realize the truth in the Bible. Anyways. The recurring point in our studies is simple. Oh, and on that note, I would argue, I argue, I know for a fact, that there's never, ever been a believer, and there never will be a believer ever and ever, ever, that can be on their dying bed and say, I didn't persevere. Ever. Never. There will never be, there never has been, a person who is on their dying bed, I'm talking about the last moment of life on earth, who can say, I didn't persevere. Because looking back, they will all say the same thing. It was tough. There were times I wobbled, staggered, but I'm still here. And I'm still in his loving embrace. And he didn't lose me, just like he said. And God's still holding me, just like he said he would. And God never forsook me, just like he said he wouldn't. So I guess I persevered. I guess God's not a liar on this topic. I guess Jesus knew what he was talking about. The recurring point in our studies is simple. <clears throat> it's that by grace through faith, we will endure. We will persevere and therefore bring glory to God. This is one of the truly disclosed reasons why that God enjoys sanctifying us over time. When you, when you persevere under stress, you know, Someone like a Frank, or I'm thinking of others right now, I don't want to embarrass them by bringing up their name, but they're hearing my voice right now. When someone um, perseveres under unbelievable pressure, and they attribute their ability to the grace of God, do they not bring glory to God? Does Does that perseverance not bring glory to God then? So God the Holy Spirit through the Bible has disclosed this to us that God truly does enjoy sanctifying us over time because it brings glory to him. This is why we ought to be excited about carrying this light within us as Jesus alluded to. Go to Luke 8:16. <clears throat> Luke 8:16. I must talk faster when I'm louder. Because I'm I'm going slow in my notes. I'm like, wow, you're going slow. I must get all excited. Luke 8.16. What do you think Jesus was saying here? Right after the parable of the soils. You know what? Now no one after lighting a lamp, Luke 8.16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container. Or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and be and come to the light. Up here on the board, on this idea of the perseverance of saints, simply stated: <clears throat> A true believer will always persevere by grace through faith. Always. It may get bumpy at times. Your enemies may tell you uh, that you even have the ability to quit, but what you'll find at the end of your life is that you never quit. And the only way you're going to be able to point to any power at all is by the grace of God. By grace through faith, you never quit. This is opposed to an apostate for example, who eventually fails due to lack of true faith. What the Bible clearly states is that perseverance is the exclusive fruit of the true believer in Christ. You notice Jesus in his parable in Luke 8 didn't say that the three categories of unbelievers persevered. As a matter of fact, they all quit, some quicker than others, but eventually, they all quit. The seed didn't sprout to perseverance, to full maturity, until it was on the good soil, the humble soil, a soil that God can save. That's all Jesus was saying. And therefore, perseverance is the exclusive fruit of true believers in Christ. Since this kind of fruit brings glory to His Father, that's why I've always said, just you know, just keep... Going on, don't be Don't be discouraged by your own flesh who keeps telling you, and you don't think I have these you don't think my flesh my own flesh says, you need to quit. It said it this morning with this ridiculous voice. You need to close up early. I'm not gonna. as long as you can bear it, which by your faces, it's you know you're persevering, okay? Maybe it's a visual aid. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be listening to this voice either. And it hurts coming up. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) It hurts. Since this kind of fruit brings glory to his father, Jesus, of course, wanted everyone to receive it. Jesus loves the fact that you persevere in his name. For his name's sake. He loves it and he knows that it's a function of salvation itself. Jesus in his own words said in Luke 19 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul reiterated Jesus's thoughts up here in the board, 1st Timothy 1 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. <clears throat> That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Why? Because he knew if, if you could be saved, then God would sanctify you. Jesus knew that. He knew that if you were saved, that you would persevere. That you would continue to bear fruit and bring glory to God. So, of course, he wanted you to be saved. And, of course, that's in perfect harmony with God who wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Knowing the very heartbeat of Jesus' ministry, his words, his parables, and his activities, these things become quite clear. Knowing the heartbeat of Jesus' ministries Why he spoke the way he did, why he told parables the way he did, all of his his activities become quite clear. Why did he do the things he did? Why did he say the things he said? It's not complicated, it's very simple. Hence his general statement of caution in verse uh, 18 of Luke 8. You're still in Luke 8, right? Verse 18. So what? He's speaking to a general audience. Take care how you listen. then take care. I can't even, hold on. I'm trying to stress it, but I can't, so. Take care how you listen. For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Up here on the board, take care how you listen. Those who refuse the light in time will not have the opportunity at the great white throne judgment. It will be too late, and all light will be removed from them as they are thrown into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. Paul wasn't never held back either, wasn't ashamed to speak of the truth on this subject, wasn't afraid to challenge people that he supposed were disciples, but who knows? 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you are even in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you what? Fail the test. If you have true faith from God, as opposed to man's faith in something other than God, I'm alluding to Spurgeon, then you are founded on the rock. If you have true faith, who is Jesus Christ? And this is very good news, my friends. Faith in the rock. <clears throat> in the analogy, if there's one outstanding quality of rock, it's that it is solid in its standing, which is why we use the term rock solid to describe unwavering things. If your faith is in the rock, you will persevere, just like a rock does. Luke 6.47-49, 8.15, that's the parable. Let me give you 6.48 up here on the board. The believer is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a, a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. One final thought from Thursday's lesson on this point up here on the board on faith in the rock. The more we learn about Jesus' approach to the faith, the more we realize two fundamental things. True faith, simple. God saves. We don't save ourselves. God saves us even daily. Delivers us. Saves us. Daily. True faith is practical. God sanctifies. Why does he sanctify us? To bring glory to himself. Is he omnipotent or not? He's omnipotent. Last time I checked. So if his word says you will be sanctified, if his word says you will persevere, do you know what's going to happen? When his name is on the line? Because that's whose name is on the line. You're going to persevere. You're going to be sanctified. As a friendly reminder that reminds us of the parable of the soils, especially those second and third cases who sprout up but then apostatize, up here on the board, on faith and fruit. <clears throat> True faith always precedes godly fruit bearing, Luke 6 43 to 44. Religion, though, supposes that faith is the fruit of fruit bearing, <clears throat> as if It is somehow achievable through works. Supposed fruit bearing, the latter is a work of the flesh. In other words, you don't go this direction. You start with faith, you bear fruit. You don't start with fruit and suppose faith. Or at least establish faith. There are times when, like Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit, but that's not the point. Luke 6.43, this is the point. For well, there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit." Think about this. I was thinking about this myself yesterday morning when I was preparing this. By the way, I think my voice is like this because I spent like six hours out, out in the yard. And someone said the pollen or something was in the air yesterday that was just out of control. And I was in a dig digging a ditch with Shawnee a four-foot ditch by about 20 feet long, and his dirt and pollen and everything else. So just so you know, you because know, I know you're going to go and pray for me. I just wanted you to have all the details, Tom, <laughs> over that Starbucks. I saw Tom in a Starbucks in Providence. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> said he was enjoying the free Internet or something. I'm like, no, he's working. It is working. I was thinking about this, though, seriously. Even wisdom and understanding are grace gifts from God. Even wisdom and understanding are grace gifts from God. Not just perseverance, but how about what you know about perseverance? How about your wisdom on the subject? How about what you've been given this morning on the subject? Some of you are like, I never thought of it like that. That's why you're here. That's why you're persevering. That's why he's continuing to sanctify you. Even your wisdom and your understanding are grace gifts from God. How do I know? The Bible tells us. That's all I know. I don't. I really, in truth be told, more than ever, try to keep myself out of the way. I only want to teach what's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, I'm good with it. If it's not, I'm not going to teach it. Too many people speculate. Too many people speculate and then write volumes of books and commentaries. And people are confused for years. But anyways, the Bible tells us these things. This is what Jesus taught his own disciples in Matthew's account of the parable of the soils. We'll pick up right after Jesus finishes telling his disciples the parable for the first time. Go to Matthew 13, 9. Matthew 13, 9. Even wisdom and understanding are grace gifts from God. Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, some can't. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, But to them it has not been granted. It's that simple. (laughs) Whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what what he has shall be taken away from him. In other words, the light will be withdrawn from their presence in hell. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Again, the point, even wisdom and understanding, are grace gifts from God. If you think about it, this is what frustrates unbelievers among us so much. And don't think that there aren't unbelievers in churches, because there are. This is what frustrates unbelievers among us so much in and outside of church. It's our confidence. <clears throat> it's our confidence. If you know you're never going to quit and it's not, even an opp- it's not even a possibility, then will you not be confident? If God says to you, everybody except Michelle, I'm going to have you run an ultra marathon this afternoon. <laughs> Michelle's like, giddy up. The rest of us are like, oh, man, no way. But if you knew it was the voice of God, when you cross that line, who are you going to attribute it to? If you know while you're running, mile one or two, and there's like, what, 50-something miles in an altar? Is that like double? She's like, I don't, know, I don't know. When you're running, if you know that God has your back, don't you know you're going to finish? If you're convinced, if you have faith, that God himself said, you're going to run this thing because you're going to bring glory to me. While you're running, do you not have confidence? You see, that's the kind of confidence that drives unbelievers bonkers. Bonkers. It's our confidence. Our very faith in things that they have zero access to. They see peace in us, but they can never possess it for themselves. And this enrages their flesh with things like jealousy. So they continue to try and animate a corpse, failing every time. Meanwhile, we believers are held up by the very power of God. Go to Romans 116. Romans 1.16. That's the kind of stuff that drives unbelievers bananas. Romans 1.16. This is just one of those passages that every time you come back to, it's just that more magnanimous. It's just that much more. It's bigger. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. I taught you Greek word, dynamis, right? The very power of God for salvation, deliverance in every aspect of it. Not just to save you, but to deliver you every day. Because <clears throat> he's not going to save you and then not save you every day. He's not going to save you and then you're not going to persevere. Why? Because it's the very same power that's able to save you and sanctify you to save you and deliver you every single day. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. And, oh, unbelievers, you can take your pot shots at me and you can make fun of me and persecute me. They persecuted my Lord, I expect it. You can undermine me, you can shame me, you can fire me even from a job that I deserve, that I'm doing good at. You can do whatever you want to me, but I'm not ashamed of this gospel. You can be petty, You can be undermining. You can be backstabbing. I don't care. I'm not ashamed of this thing for it's the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No distinction. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man, the one that's made righteous by the very power of God shall live by faith. Through faith, by grace, you shall live. And you guess what? You shall persevere, never to die again. So I don't know about you, but like Martin Luther, the great Protestant, the more I understand about Paul's words here, the more I'm blown away. Consider Romans 1, 16 and 17 against this backdrop up here on the board. The flesh wants to stake a claim to life, but it's dead and therefore literally incapable of doing so. A corpse cannot get up and walk, can it? Trying to use human rationalism to find your faith is supposing this very thing. It's futility. That's the very definition of futility. To try to to ask a dead corpse to get up and walk around in the faith, it's not going to happen. And you know what corpses do? No, you ready? I think I'm going to end here. You know what corpses don't do? They don't persevere. Because you know why? The guy that's pulling the string like Weekend at Bernie's, his arm eventually gets tired. Anybody see that? No? I'm the only one? <laughs> it's futility. Eventually, the flesh grows tired. A corpse, ready? I know this is like the revelation of revelations to end a Sunday morning on. It's why you came. A corpse doesn't persevere. Doesn't persevere. As, 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 as soon as someone stops propping it up, It falls down. That's why Paul said, who's going to free me from this body of death? You can't animate that thing. You don't dress up the pig. You don't make the flesh better. That thing is dead. It's a corpse. You are a new creature if you're in Christ. But you see an unbeliever, that's all they have is a corpse. So they keep propping it up and it falls down. They keep propping up, it falls down. It's like, what's going on? You're arrogant, that's what's going on. You're not even saved. But didn't I, don't I go to church? So? Don't I read my Bible? So? Satan knows the Bible better than you do. Don't I do all these things, these so-called righteous things? I mean, doesn't the Bible talk about fruit bearing and I'm doing them? So? You were never saved. Therefore, you will never persevere, at least not to the end. You can fool a lot of people along the way, but God sees the heart. I guess what I'll close with before I call DJ up. DJ's going to do uh, communion service for us. We will continue to make note of these overarching themes as we continue with our primary course of study, which is why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace, they were prepared. Amen? All right, play a little music. Let's pass out the elements. DJ, I'm going to give you my mic. And thank you for your patience with my voice.
1: Good morning. Can you guys kill the music? Yeah, he's doing it now. Can you get kill the music, Michael? Thank you. Good morning. While I was sitting in the back in the AV room, pastor was teaching and talking about perseverance, and it hit me pretty hard. Um, You have two great examples of perseverance that were on this stage this morning. One sits behind me right now. That's the pastor, the teacher, our under-shepherd. But the other one was that cross that was over there and the man that died on it. 2,000 years ago. So just remember that about perseverance. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear to me has always coincided with respect. It is a healthy to fear and respect the Lord. With that said, if we respect the Lord, we should obey, we should obey his commands. And one of his commands for his body, his bride is the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which we, we will be celebrating in just a few moments. But we, before we partake of the body and the blood, I am reminded of the song that we sang as a congregation before our last communion service, how deep the Father's love for us. And a certain verse that hit home for me personally as we sang. I'd like to read the lines for you. Just have this in your soul. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. With these words fresh in our mind, let us celebrate the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.23 states, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord and Savior, let us eat the bread. also in the same way he took the cup after sup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me in remembrance of our Lord and his work let us drink of the cup for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's bow our heads dear Heavenly Father thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and learn your word so our relationship with you and your son can be strengthened as you see fit to give us more faith and as you show us how to act in truth in grace and in love as we respect, represent your father as an ambassador to this lost and dying world. We pray, Father, for your strength. Father, we thank you for all you have prepared in eternity past for us. Our pastor, this meeting place, and all the individuals that come on a consistent basis with all their spiritual gifts in tow. May you give traveling mercies to those who are traveling. And may your healing hand come upon all your children as you see fit according to your will. Father, your will be done. We ask all of this in your son's precious name. And through the power of your spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.